0: Good morning, Coastal. How are you guys doing this morning? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad... That you're with us today. i'm I'm glad to be back with you guys. It's been a couple of weeks since i've uh, I've been up here speaking. by the way, uh, I've heard that we had some incredible, incredible messages over the last couple of weeks. In fact, if you missed the last couple of weeks, I want to encourage you. You can go online or go on our app. In fact, we have it here. You can go. you can watch all the services. you can catch up from what's going on. and uh, Pastor Ken killed it two weeks ago. and then last weekend, yes, then last week, I, I, somebody somebody told me, they said, Pastor Ken is the black version of you, TJ. And I was like, okay, that's, I don't know if Ken likes that, but that's it's good for me because I'll be the white version of him. And so uh, anyways, uh, and then last weekend, Shayla kicked off a, a brand new series for us, uh, Home for Christmas. And uh, she did an incredible, incredible job. If you missed it, uh, I encourage you to go back. Listen to it; it will rock your world. Hey, you know the, all that, and uh, but but before we begin today, we have Christmas Eve, Eve, and Christmas Eve coming up here in a couple weeks. And on your way out today, um, you're gonna get some invites because we have five service times available. For Christmas Eve, and uh, we're we're kind of we like ha- having fun at church, and we said so we think inviting people to church should be fun, and so this year our invite cards are a little bit different. It's it's like, "Go Jesus, it's your birthday!" <laughs> invite card. Uh, we gonna y'all ready for my birthday? We're gonna party like it's my birthday, uh, birthday boy. Uh, are you coming to my party? And then we have some traditional ones for those of you guys that don't like to have fun. Uh, do we have the traditional one? Uh, no, we didn't do the traditional one because <laughs> we do have a traditional one that looks like this. I know you can't see that, but it just says like Christmas Eve, and so there's, there's the service times back there. Also with that, uh, our, our room only sees 330 people, so there's actually tickets available for, for Christmas Eve services. Because we know everybody likes to show up at a certain service time. And so you need to go ahead and get your tickets now for you and your friends and your family that you're going to invite so that we know. So that when tickets are gone, we know that there's no more people that can fit in that service. So um, it's also so you can know what services to come to. And, and I, I promise you, I already have my Christmas Eve Message done. It's is dynamite. I think it is at least. And so. Uh, but it's a great time if you've never been to Christmas Eve at Coastal. We we do it up. It's gonna be awesome. But today we're in the series Home for Christmas. And and I was thinking about uh, you know, just this season and just life and how so many times we like to take things that should be for everybody and make them exclusive just for certain kinds of people. And, and and some for some reason in society, we like to do that. Like there are certain things in life that I think should just be for everybody. Like I think water should be for everybody. Like everybody should have access to water. But I was doing some research and I found this water called Bling H2O. In fact, we got some pictures of it right here. Anybody out there ever drank? Bling, H2O. Anybody ever had a bottle of that? That's good because it would set you back 40 bucks for a bottle of it. This, this water is targeted to celebrities and Hollywood types and athletes and... Uh, it, it's, it's it's for people that feel like I can't just drink a regular bottle of like Fiji water that's like <laughs> that's not enough I need bling h2o and and so they they they've done this water and it's it's big big deal and so you would think that bling h2o like it's got to be bottled somewhere like really really exclusive like it must be bottled from the depths of the Swiss Alps or from some exclusive, Fiji water spring. Like, it's more exclusive than just regular Fiji water. Like, it's exclusive. No, no, no. This is bottled in the Smoky Mountains. Now, I've, I've been to the Smoky Mountains. Uh, I, I've been in that water. I've played in that water. I've peed in that water. Tell, I'm telling you what, save your money, okay? It's, it's just not that great. And so... Uh, I found this this other one called Renova, and uh, this this is this is toilet paper, um, and 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 it's a special brand of toilet paper. And I'm not making this up. This is straight up from their ad. They go, "Do you ever feel like your bath tissue doesn't communicate your wealth as it could?" Has anybody ever asked themselves that question? Like, you know, my toilet paper is just not cutting it. It is just not communicating how wealthy I am. You know, it's like. That Charmin Ultra or whatever is just not doing it. And, and this is what they say. They say, fortunately, for anyone who does, that insurmountable problem has been surmounted by Renova, makers of the most expensive toilet paper in the world. It says, Renova's luxury toilet paper is the ultimate in luxury toiletries. This soft teepee is made of 100% virgin pulp for maximum softness. Does anybody even know what that means? It's like virgin pulp. It's three-ply and color fast, which means when you wipe your butt with the red, it isn't going to stick there, you know. And so check this out. It only costs $7.60 a roll. So what that means is you are literally flushing your money down the toilet. That's what that means right there. That's so uh, so I, I think that there are some things in life that, that should be For everybody, like toilet paper, like water, but yet so many times in life, what happens is we like to take something that should be for everybody, and we like to make it exclusive. We like to try to limit down the people that it's available to, and I think for so long, that is exactly what religion has done with God. Religion has taken this incredible gift called Jesus and said, no, 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 no. This isn't for everybody. This isn't for everyone, and and, and this is going to be exclusive. It's for certain kinds of people. It's for certain people who live in neighborhoods, drive certain things. So the rest of you, this isn't for you, and this is the exact opposite thing of what God wants, I think. In fact, I believe that Christmas is important because what God does in this day is he says, hey, listen. The reason Christmas is important is because Christmas is for everyone. Like the message of Jesus Christ is supposed to be for every single person. And God took Jesus and brought him to earth to uncomplicate the situation. He actually said, hey, I'm going to make this really, really easy for you because you guys like to complicate things. And uh And so we're going to look at, there's a story in Luke chapter 2, it's the message of of the birth of Christ that is probably the most traditional message, and there's some certain words in there I want you to see. In Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 6, it says, while they were there, meaning Joseph and Mary, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding the, their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, do not be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all To who? All people. To who? All people. Sorry, David, I didn't see you saying anything over there. To who? Thank you. I just wanted David to say that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> now everyone's like, I'm gonna say something next time because he might call my name out. It's <laughs> for all people, right? Why? Because Christmas is for everyone. Says the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord. Has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Now, what's interesting about this is that for 700 years, ancient scholars had been trying to predict how and when this would happen. And and none of them would have ever said, you know, the way that we're going to proclaim the Messiah being born, they would have never gone to this group of people called the shepherds to say, hey, I want you to be the first to know. Like, shepherds in those days, that was not, like, a high-paying job. That was not, like, this really, really great career path. In fact, uh, if you think about shepherds, they were the lowest of low. They were probably the least educated people of their day. Not only that, but this is the night shift of the shepherds, so it's not even, like, the best shift of being a shepherd. And think about it. Even in Christmas plays, who gets the worst costume? The shepherds, right? They get a towel and, like, a sheet and a, a string and maybe some sandals. And, and like, wise men get cool th- outfits but shepherds don't. And so of all people to bring this great news to he brings it to the shepherds. So God is basically telling us Christmas is for all people. It's not just for those that live in exclusive neighborhoods, it's not for those who have great marriages, it's not for those who just have good credit scores. It's for the rich, it's for the poor, it's for the lonely, and it's for those that are fulfilled. It is for every one. No matter what you look like, where you've been, what you've done, what you're currently doing, Christmas is for everyone. And so when I started thinking about this, I said, now, why, why, why would God do this? Why would he make this announcement? Why would he do it in this way? Like, what was his reasoning behind this? And I think the reason God announced it like this is because God has been after his kids since the beginning. I think Jesus says this best in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, what I've learned in life is, is you can't find something that's lost unless you first possessed it first, right? Like, you have to have possession of it first for you to lose it than to be able to find it again. See, for the longest time, I, I've always looked at this and gone, well, people that are far from God, they're, they're, they're lost people. But God isn't saying they're lost people. He's saying, listen, every single person is my kid. It's not exclusive to the ones that are found. Those aren't the only ones that are my kids. The ones that are still lost are still my kids. And I've been on a search and rescue mission from the beginning of time. And what Christmas is all about is about this search and rescue mission. And and I love all of my kids the same. Not only the ones that are found, but the ones that are still lost. In fact, the ones that are still lost, I sent the greatest gift to go find them. And I was thinking about lost things, and I've learned some things about lost Things Because when I was a little kid, it, in fact, uh, it, it, if you were to, to get to know my family and you were to spend some time with my mom, my mom loves to tell a story of me as a little kid. She doesn't do it great justice, but, I, you know, it's okay. She talks about when I was like two, maybe three years old, uh, we lived in this uh, apartment on this busy road. And one morning they woke up and they went to go get me out of bed and I was not in my bed. And uh, My parents started freaking out like most parents would and, and so they started searching all over the house They started searching around the neighborhood trying to look for me and find me. They couldn't find me anywhere and uh, lo and behold, what had happened is, is I'd woken up early one morning, decided to get dressed. I put on a T-shirt. That's it. Uh, I, I went and I unlocked the sliding glass door, which they did not know I knew how to do. I unlocked it, opened it up, shut the sliding glass door, went and got on my tricycle and decided to go for a ride. Well, I ended up riding a mile and a half down the road. This is the story that they tell. And, and so my parents are freaking out looking for me because this is what I know. When you've lost something of value... The more valuable that thing is, the more that search intensifies, doesn't it? That's right. Like, if you just lose, like, a dollar, it's not like you're going to scour the world. Not that a dollar isn't valuable, but if you lose a $1,000 bill, you're going to be searching everywhere for it, aren't you? Why? Because based on the value of the thing that's lost, the intensity of that search goes up. It's not like my mom, who has other kids, said, you know what? I got two more kids. Who cares about that one, right? <laughs> Come on parents, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, sometimes you would like to do that. I understand. Like we're not calling protective services or anything, but we, we know. In fact, my mom didn't care where her other kids were in that moment. What she cared about was the kid that was lost. By the way, eventually some lady randomly saw my parents walking with me in the past, noticed me down, getting ready to cross a major intersection with no pants on and a T-shirt, took me back, and my parents eventually found me. It was great. And so, if you really want to know what Christmas is all about, Christmas is not about what's found. It's about the things that are missing. And Christ was sent on a rescue mission For those who were lost. Kind of starts to change your view of what Christmas is all about. And Jesus illustrates this so beautifully in Luke chapter 15. It says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear him. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners in ease with them. Now, the definition of a sinner is somebody that does something that you don't currently do. Right? Like, that's a sinner. I got issues. I don't sin. They're a sinner though. We're in church. It's okay to be honest. (laughs) We'll talk about lying next week for y'all. Okay. (laughs) He continues on in verse three. So he told them this parable. And this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus never theologized. He told stories and he goes on to tell three stories. The first story he tells is a story of a lost sheep. Then he tells a story of a lost coin. And those two stories, deal with something that is geographically lost. It's, it's, I've lost a coin, I've lost a sheep, I've got to go search and find something that's missing. And then he tells a third story that we're going to focus on, the story of the prodigal son. And it isn't a story about something that is geographically lost, it's something about a relational lostness that we experience in life. He talks about that, and it's it's symbolic for us because it's symbolic of there is a relational distance. There's a relational gap between God and us a lot of times. And what Christmas was all about is is how do I close that gap? How do I take where we are and where we need to be and, and bring those together? And so when I start thinking about Christmas, I think about the table. And this is my personal dining room table. Uh, these are my chairs. I know they're yellow. It looks good in our house. Don't hate on me. Uh, but I think, about, I think about relationships happening at the table. You know, if you were to come over to my house, this would be in, 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 right next to our foyer. You'd walk in. My great Dane would greet you in your face because he's that big. And uh, we would come and we would sit down at this table and we'd talk. And uh, there's been many of uh, celebrations that have happened at this table. There's been many times that we've counseled at this table. There's been uh, there's been a lot of crying at this table. There have been some incredible moments. There've been some incredibly painful moments that have happened at this table. We brought Alexander home uh, to this table. And uh, this table was filled with gifts from our Connect group because we found out like 15 minutes before we were about to have an instant baby is awesome, and we weren't prepared. My, that's how my wife looks so good, and uh, <laughs> and so like this table, this table has experienced a lot of love. And so I, I, when I started thinking about this story, I, I thought about the fact that this story starts at a table. It starts with a son sitting down with his father. And basically saying to his dad, hey, dad, I wish you were dead. Because what the son asked of his dad is he said, hey, dad, I want my inheritance now. I want what you have for me when you're dead right now. So in other words, what I want from you is for you to die and for me to be able to live my life. And the dad realizing that there was a distance relationally between he and his son. See, geographically, he knew exactly where his son was. He was looking across the table at his son. The dad is sitting here. He's looking down at the end of the table, and he's seeing his son. He's like, geographically, I know exactly where he's sitting, but relationally, there is a distance here. And so the father decides, you know what? Because there is that distance, I'm going to give him everything he asked for. And so the dad gives up his prestige, his standing in the community, because that's what it would have meant to break apart his land and his wealth and, and give that all to his son. And the son takes it, and he takes off. I think one of the most dangerous things sometimes is that God will give us exactly what we ask for. And when we walk away from God, we walk away from His blessing. We walk away from His provision. We walk away from His protection. But more than anything, we walk away from His presence. When we walk away from God, we walk away from this incredible relationship. And so much more. It says in verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. He basically spends all that he has on wild living. Man, he not only went out, he lived it up. And this is where I hate like old school preachers. This is what they'll do right here in this moment. They'll be like, young people, young people, sin is not fun. Young people, let me tell you something. Sin is not fun. And every time I hear that, I think to myself, bro, that's because you're not doing it right. Because <laughs> when I was sinning, I'm going to be honest, I was having fun. Like, it was a blast. Like, I was fussing and cussing and doing all kinds of things. Listen, the Bible said, says sin is fun for a season. See, sin is fun, just the consequences are not. Uh-huh. Going out and eating a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts today is fun. <laughs> the scale next Friday, 10 pounds later, is not. Come on, somebody. And so that's, that's exactly what's happening. So, so, and, and what's happening for a lot of us is the enemy is setting us up with sin. He's setting us up with go live it up, go have fun. And he's setting you up for a big, big fall because you think that that's all good. And then when all good turns all bad, which is exactly what happens in the story, it says in verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. See, that same preacher will tell you, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and make you pay more than you ever wanted to pay. And it will cost us, cost us something. For most of us, it will cost us everything. And for some of us today, it is costing us. There is a, It's costing us relationally. It's costing us financially. It's costing us in our marriage. It's costing us in our relationship with our kids. It's costing us in our careers. It is costing us. And here's what I've discovered is when things are going good, you don't need a relationship with God. Like it's, it's in those moments, it's really, really easy to forget about God, but all of a Sudden, in this story, a recession hits. Sound familiar? We just had one of those about nine years ago, ten years ago. And everything isn't so good. And it's in that moment, in those moments that we need help, that we need something more. And here's what I've discovered. Most people geographically are found, like you know exactly where you are today. You're sitting in church. But a lot of us are relationally lost. We can come in and we can play the game. We can say the the right words, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. You know, we know the lingo. We got the jargon down so we look real spiritual. But you know the Father is way over here, and you're way, way over there. And I honestly believe that most of us, we never intended to have this distant relationship. But the cares of life just seem to push us further and further away. It's like going to the beach and You go out to the beach and you start body surfing. You start playing in the ocean. And and where you start at, when you look up an hour later, you're half a mile down the beach. Why? Because you just drift. Because there's just natural drift in life. And I think some of us, we've been so busy playing and we've ended up way the heck down there. And it's honestly, it's one of the reasons why we started this church is we started this church for people that were relationally distant from God because we wanted to be a place where we could start to bring you back into this incredible relationship with God who has been searching for you since you left. It says this boy starts to come to his senses because there's this God that is Seeking him out to seek and to save him. And what all God wants from you is for you to come home. And it says this in verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. In other words, he says, hey, I'm going to confess I screwed up. Like I messed this up. And he continues on and he goes, he goes, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he starts to repent because he realizes there is a price to be paid. he and, and this is his realization in this moment. He goes, hey, listen, I know at my dad's house because right now he's in a pig pen because he's so destitute, broke. And some of us, we're not there from a, a financial standpoint, but relationally and different things in our life, we are. We're destitute and broke and we're lonely and we're going, man, I know back in the day when I was in a relationship with God, it was awesome. And if I could just get back to that place, I know that God would probably not accept me, that God would not probably take me in my current circumstances, that God, there's no way that he would allow me to do this. But maybe, just maybe I could earn my way back. Maybe I could start to put my life together. And when I put my life together, I could just stand on the outskirts of, and maybe just serve my dad, but never sit at the table. Because I realized that there's no place at the table for me. I gave that up. And so... He goes, man, maybe I can't have a relationship with my dad, but maybe I can have a transaction with my dad. And so he starts on his journey back, and it says in verse 20, and it says, He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And what this tells me is his father was sitting, sitting there looking out on his porch, just going, man, when is my son going to come home? And all of a sudden, he sees his son, and all of a sudden, this thing called passion wells up inside of him because God love for you is passionate and this father arises because he's been seeking to save those that were lost and he looks off and he sees his son and he goes man I'm gonna go run to that boy I'm gonna go and I'm gonna embrace him in this moment and that son never thought that his father would do that why because he had a bad view of his father And a lot of us, we've walked in with a bad view of God. We think that God is vindictive and hateful and spiteful and mean, and there's no way that he would accept me where I am. But I want you to know here today that you have a God that is passionate for you, that is waiting on you. And the moment you take a step towards him, it says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. God is taking off, running with compassion to embrace you, meaning he's going to cover all of those things. He's going to wrap you up. Notice this boy just came from a, pig pen he's nasty he's dirty he's gross and this father's like I got you I got you I'm gonna embrace you right here see God isn't waiting for you to clean up your life before he embraces you he's saying come to me and I'm just gonna embrace you right where you are why because God's love is extravagant I thought of the best word I could think of right there. And I thought, extravagant, that's just sexy right there. It's like, I know you don't think about sexy and God, but it's good. It says in verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And I love this moment because this is like... This is like the Jim Carrey moment where you're you're trying to apologize, and he just, you know, right into your, shh. You don't need to say anything. I feel like that's what God's doing. He's going, stop it. Because I've sinned against you. But the Father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. See, the best robe would have been the father's robe. The ring would have been this symbol of authority that the family had. The shoes would have signified that he's no longer a slave or a servant, but he is a son of the house. See, the extravagance of God's love is that not only does he forgive, but he's a restorer. He restores those things. And I believe that if you're still breathing, then God's still got a plan. And I know some of you guys going, but TJ, but TJ, but TJ, you don't know what I've done. When does God deal with all that stuff? He doesn't deal with that stuff when you come home. Here's what I've learned in my own life. I need to know that you love me unconditionally before you can speak into my life. And I think that God knows that about us. And so he goes, hey, I want you to see that my love for you is passionate, that my love for you is extravagant, so that you come home, so that you know that I love you. And when you know that I love you, then you know that when I start to correct some things in your life, it's not doing that because I'm trying to hurt you, but it's because I love you so much. I want what's best for you. And so that doesn't happen when you come home. That happens later as we build our relationship. But here's what's most incredible. And this is where it all ties into Christmas is, is that God's love is available. In the next verse, in verse 23, and it says, And bring the fattened calf. And kill it. He says, let's eat and celebrate. He says, hey, let's go to the table. And this is what's amazing because the son knows that there's no room at the table. Like those seats have been filled. But here's the amazing thing about God. God. is God walks over to His Son, named Jesus Christ. He said, Son, I need you to vacate this chair, and I need you to go take their place, because up to this point. The only way that you could have a relationship with God was through a transaction. God's relationship with humankind was transactional, and what would happen is is you would have to take a fattened calf, and you would have to slaughter it, and blood would have to be shed. It's called atonement. It's a really spiritual word that lots of church people like to use that nobody understands, but that's what it means. It's it's a shedding of blood to reestablish a relationship with God. And God is saying, you know what? I'm tired of my relationship with humankind being transactional, where you have to do something to have a relationship with me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send the ultimate transaction to earth called Jesus Christ, what Christmas is all about. And he is going to be the atonement for every single person. So nobody else has to go slaughter a calf and shed blood because Jesus' blood was shed for you. He says, listen, that seat has been vacated so now you can have a seat at the table. Now you can partake of this amazing grace that is available for everyone. This isn't just exclusive for good people or rich people or people that have got it going on. This is a seat for everyone. And God today is telling some of you, man, man, my love is available to you. Not only is my love passionate for you and extravagant towards you, it is available. Are you ready to see? Are you ready to experience this transaction that changes everything? You don't have to earn this. It's already been accomplished. It's already been taken care of through my son, Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today. And geographically, you're found. You know exactly where you are. But relationally today, you're distant from God. Maybe through some drifting. Maybe through some choices. Maybe you never even had a relationship with God. But the reason Christmas is for everyone so that God could send his son to make a place at the table for you. The question for you is this will you take your seat? Will you taste and see that the Lord is good? With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're here today and you're in that position where. Maybe geographically you're found, but relationally you're lost. And today you need to either reconnect with God or connect maybe the first time with God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe that's you here today on the count of three. If you need to start or come back to Christ, I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up really quick. I'd love to pray with you. One, two, three. Go ahead, slip it up. Yes, yes, yes. Hands going up all over the place. As you put them up, you can put them down. Yes, yes, see you. you just pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it out loud, God, we just come before you. I thank you so much that you love me so much. That you are willing to send your son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth. It's one of the reasons why we celebrate Christmas. So that he could be the ultimate transaction. So that he could take away my sin and my shame and my pain and and reconnect me with the Father. And it's because his blood that was shed on Calvary. That I can have a relationship with God. That I can sit at God's table and know God. And find freedom. And discover my purpose. And live this life that you've intended for me to live today. God, I accept you. I ask you to not only to come into my heart, but run my life. God, we love you in this place and we celebrate